This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. Today is a great day to study the Bible. As you listen to today's message, I pray that you're blessed as we study God's Word together. Today I'll be reading from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break open the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the triumph of the lion. Father, we thank you for providing for us what we could never provide for ourselves. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the calling you've given us. We thank you for the presence of your spirit by which we live. Father, help us to listen today while you speak. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so today, as we study through chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation, we're moving away from the more comfortable areas of the book. And you say, I don't know that it's been that comfortable yet, Adam. <laughs> I know. It's going to get less comfortable because we're moving away from the area that has been letters and we, we kind of know what to do with letters. And so we're moving away from that into the part of the book that is visions. And visions are not as comfortable for most of us to read. But that's what we're moving into today. And, and, and a thing that I heard recently from a pastor uh, that was really meaningful to me, and so I'm going to pass it on to you in hopes that you think I said it, um, is I like, he, say, he said this, he said, I really like this, he said, John's primary concerns when sharing these visions, John's primary concerns are the who and the why. We tend to be concerned when we read the book of Revelation and its visions with the what and the how. We want to know what and we want to know how, and John's primary concern seems to be the who and the why. And so we're going to do our best to understand what's happening because in chapter 4, we get a vision of the throne room of God in chapters 4 and 5. Start with me there in chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard, uh, I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what, may, what must take place after this. So John gets invited up. He is summoned. Come up here. And then it says, at once in verse 2, I was transported by the Spirit 
And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Okay, I'm I'm, going to let you in on a secret. John represents us. Okay, so the open door that's there lets us know that there's something that's happening that is being revealed to us, that we have access to it now. And John gets called up to see what's there. And when John is invited to see what's on the inside, so are we. So we get to catch a glimpse of what's happening. And what he sees in there is a throne. Now, I want to be clear about this. The throne is the main point. Okay, this is, an, this is an opportunity for us to look in. And when we look into heaven's gates, we look into heaven's courts, the throne is the main point. We're going to see some other weird stuff. But don't lose sight of this. The main thing is the throne. Keep reading in verse 3. And the one who sat there, okay, we're going to talk about the one on the throne, had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. All right. Sure he does. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. All right. Sure it does. So the one on the throne has the appearance of a radiant reflective jewels that shine with rainbow light and glow. Don't overcomplicate this. Splendor, radiance, glory, beauty. We don't get a clear image of the king yet, but what we know is he's magnificent. Then we see in verse 4, surrounding the throne are 24 other thrones. 24 other thrones. But what's the main point? The central throne. Okay, remember that. There's going to be a lot to look at. But the central throne is going to be the main point. There are 24 other thrones around it. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. All right. So we have 24 thrones and 24 elders. At this point, there are several theories about why 24 and where that comes from. I'm convinced that these thrones represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of Jesus. That together these stand uh, to talk about God's covenant community of Israel and God's covenant community of the church. And that what we have here is a picture in these 24 thrones of the whole work of God's activity among his people. They represent the entirety of God's covenant work among humankind. There's 24 other thrones, but the main point's the throne in the middle. Look at what's happening at that throne. From the throne in the center comes flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Okay, that kind of reminds you of perhaps um, revelation of God's majesty when he gave the law at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 where there was thunder and lightning billowing and God spoke. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit of God. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Um, Okay, so I remember reading this, and we would sing about this. There were several songs that mentioned something about being beside the crystal sea. 
Um, and, and so I, I, I knew that there was a crystal sea or a sea that was like that. And in my mind, I had this giant ocean. And it was made of glass or whatever. Um, all right, so here's what's happening is there's a reference that's going back to actually the temple. And in the temple, there are several pieces of furniture that became really important for the worship of God in the temple. And one of those is called the sea. And what it was was this giant vat of water that was created from a, 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 a uncut stone bowl, basically. Okay, that held a, a, a massive amount of water and that water is used to clean the blood from the priest's hands and from the implements that are used to offer the sacrifices. Okay, that's one of the things that the water is used for in the temple's sea. Okay, they called it the sea because it represented, uh, parts of creation are represented in the temple and one of the things that's represented is the water on the earth in the sea. Okay, this particular item. And so what he sees before the throne of God is this sea, this vessel containing water, and the vessel itself is clear. Perhaps so that you can see the water. Showing just how cleansing it can be. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I told you it was going to get weird. Like, I mean, all right, what do we do with that? Well, we've got these four living creatures, and if you think about the creatures that we're mentioning, and you think about what they symbolize and what they were used to symbolize in the ancient world, and we even still have some of these connotations, that when you think about the lion, the lion is considered the noblest creature. When you think about the ox, it's the strongest creature. When you think about the human, it's the wisest creature. When you think about the eagle, it's the swiftest creature. That all of these beasts symbolize all the best of creation. In the presence of God. Notice that it's not just humans that are worshiping in heaven. It's all of creation is called before God in the courts of heaven. And they're covered in eyes to demonstrate their awareness of all things. There's nothing unseen in the courts of heaven. There's nothing unknown to God. God sees it all. And those who are called to bear faithful witness through suffering and trial are reminded at this point that there's nothing God doesn't see. There's nothing that God is not working to the good and in accordance with His will. They are part of God's holy plan and they will be victorious because their God is still in control. And they sing extolling the character of, of, of the eternal God, holy, holy, holy. 
Their song inspires others to sing. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns down before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and power and honor, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So if the thrones represent God's covenant community, then the elders represent all believers. The elders stood as the representatives of Israel, God's covenant people at Sinai in Exodus 24. And here they represent God's people as a whole, all of whom are a kingdom of priests, we'll find out. And when they hear the song of the living creatures... They illustrate for us the appropriate response to God's glory, worship. They sing a song of God's worthiness to receive glory and honor and power. Notice that John repeats a phrase in in, in verses 9 and 10 where he talks about God as the one who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. In verse 9. And then again in verse 10, the one who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. It's almost as if he's trying to remind you that in spite of whatever, whatever else is going on around you, whoever else claims that they're on the throne, there is one sitting on the throne and he lives forever and ever. And so you never have to worry that what's going on is going to somehow outlast God's rule. The elders join in proclamation of God's glory, casting down their crowns because because human glory means nothing in the presence of the glorious King of Kings. And all of heaven, every creature, every elder, every being that is in the presence of God, witnessing God's God's greatness, stops and gives Him glory. And we're invited to be there too because we have the same need. It is our calling to join in all of heaven in praise of God's glory. And their song recognizes the the essential and organic connection between the Creator and His rightful rulership of what He has created. That because He's made it, He's the one who gets to rule it. He's the one who made it, so He's the rightful ruler. God made all things, and therefore all things are made for God. I'm going to say that again. And this time, at the end of it, you get to say, Amen. How's that? God made all things, therefore all things are made for God. There is nothing God made that was not made to give Him praise. As a matter of fact, I want, here's what I want. I want you to repeat after me. God makes beautiful things. God makes beautiful things. And God made me. Amen. How about this one? How about this one? God makes all things for his glory. Say it again. God makes all things for His glory. glory. And God made me. me. 
Amen. Okay, y'all are starting to see the picture here that is unfolding in front of us. Uh, As a matter of fact, Craig Keener has said that only in worship, as we stand in awe of God's majestic glory, do all other competing claims for affection and attention recede into their rightful place. God alone is God, and He alone merits the first place beyond every other love, every other anxiety, and every other fear that consumes us. And I I know that we're talking about the words that they sang and the things that are going on, and they're they're, they're singing, but, but if you think I'm just talking about singing, then you're missing me. That when, I, when I'm saying worship, all things were made to worship God, I don't simply mean all things are made to sing. When, when you think of worship, how do I describe it? Worship is, worship is attention. It's, it's what I place, it's, it's me placing my attention on some, my real attention. Like not just hearing it going on, but actually like focusing and giving it my, my, my full attention. That's what, that's what worship is. And a life of worship is going to give God its attention. It's going to have everything in it bent towards God. That's the way that worship works. It's constantly giving God our attention. That's why this isn't just about church service. This is about your real life in the world, that, that, that wherever you work, wherever you go, wherever you are, that God has put you there, and you are wasting every moment of your time in that place if you refuse to pay attention to God on His throne there. That, that's worship. John says, then I saw... In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. John sees a scroll in the right hand of God and it's sealed and it's covered with writing. Now scrolls in the ancient world weren't always written on both sides. Uh, th- this thing is bursting with information, and it's, and it's rolled up, and then it would be tied closed, and then they would take wax and melt it onto the string so that you couldn't untie it without breaking the seals. So you, 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 the seals denote the sender, and they would ensure that only the rightful recipient would open the scroll. And John weeps because no one can open it. John, John knows that inside the scroll is the plan of God to set the world to rights. John knows that the truth of God's redemptive activity is there before him, but he's not able to reach it. He's not worthy to break the seals. He's not worthy to receive what God wants to give him. He requires an intermediary. He requires someone who will act on his behalf in order to receive what it is that God wants to give him. What he most desperately needs. But there isn't anyone there, and he feels the pain of not being able to get what he desperately needs. 
John's despair is a model for us in our sin and our weakness. We are completely reliant upon another to open for us the wonderful blessings of God. We need a Savior and cannot save ourselves. Do you know what you would be without Jesus? Do you know what you'd be without Jesus? If, if you don't know him, do you? I, I don't want to mince words. I'm not, I'm not, I, I promise you I'm not trying to judge you. I'm trying to offer you a, a promise of grace. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to let you see the good news. Do you know what you are without Jesus? The only hope that we have in the whole universe is this throne and the one who can open the scroll. I love when one of the elders shows up and comforts John and he says, Don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. You see, the root of David, when he says that, he's, he's referring back to Isaiah 11 to talk about the, the, the one of the, who comes from the lineage of David to rule as king. He's, a, he's anointed by the Spirit to rule all nations in peace. When he says the Lion of Judah, this is from, from Genesis 49, it's the powerful messianic ruler that God is going to send. You see, Jesus as Messiah has done what none of us could do. Jesus has done for us uh, what nothing else can do. All the things we run to when we're tired, when we're weak, when we're anxious, when we're stressed, when we're depressed, when we're tempted, all the things we run to to fill us up and provide for us, they don't work. And Jesus has done what none of those things can do. Is this not good news? That he can open the scroll. And all of heaven stands breathless awaiting the arrival of the champion of heaven. The roaring lion of Judah who has defeated sin and death forever. And into the throne room comes the lion of Judah the conquering king, the son of David. And you'll never imagine what comes next. In verse 6, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures, which are the seven spirits of God, I'm sorry, and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The lion is a lamb. The victorious lion is a slain lamb. I don't know about you, but that's not what I was expecting. I was caught up in the moment, and, and I was ready to celebrate victory, and then all of a sudden, the lion is a lamb. A lamb that's been slaughtered. 
and it's here. As we look at the throne in the courts of heaven, that we come face to face with the great paradox of revelation and of of the Christian faith in general, to be honest, that Jesus conquered not by force, but by death. That Jesus conquered not by violence, but by martyrdom. Our mighty hero is a helpless and vulnerable lamb slaughtered in sacrifice. You know, in Colossians 2.15, Paul writes that having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It's pretty easy to read those, those words from Paul about Jesus winning. But now carry them forward to this moment where we see the victorious Lion of Judah and we realize that it's a slaughtered lamb. And let the image hit you. Because it hits a little different when I'm confronted with the slain lamb a little deeper. And perhaps it breaks your heart and it seeps down into your soul and it changes everything. Now, the lamb has seven horns, which is odd. And, and, and when we talk about horns in, in, in symbolic literature, usually they denote strength. And so it's not that the lamb is not strong. But strength that looks like a slaughtered lamb is foreign to us. And the horns have seven eyes, which are the sevenfold Holy Spirit of God. The Lamb was given God's sight by the work of the Spirit that's present throughout the world. And then the Lamb does what no one can do. In verse 7 it says, He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And when He had taken it, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. That the Lamb takes the scroll and then all of heaven breaks forth in praise and in song for the Lamb. Just as they had praised the one on the throne, they're now going to praise the Lamb. Look at what it says. They sang a new song saying you're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and strength and praise and glory. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. 
Oh, all of heaven recognizes that in, that in the Lamb, the God of heaven lives in flesh. And so they sing a new song. I love that it's a new song. I love the old songs. If you ask me, Adam, what's your favorite Christian worship song? It is, my Jesus, I love thee. That's an older song. I love the old songs. But sometimes we need a new song. And here's the deal. We can always add new songs because this is the great thing about worship. We'll never exaggerate how great our God is. That even if we add 10,000 tongues and 10,000 mouths and 10,000 years to write down all the songs, we would never exaggerate the greatness of our God. Heaven sings a new song about God's glory and goodness and love and power and grace, and they confess the Lamb's worthiness because of His sacrifice. The Lamb of God, Agnus Dei. The Lamb of God receiving the praise of all of heaven. And then all of heaven does join in and they recognize the universal mission. that, That first song where they recognize God's universal mission. That that by his sacrifice, you purchase persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Then they acknowledge the calling that he gave to God's people as a kingdom of priests. That you've been given this calling as a kingdom of priests. God didn't save us to be irrelevant. God saved us to be agents of his kingdom in this world. All right, we have, we have things to do. We have work that we ought to be busy on in this. And they acknowledge that, king, that, 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 that calling that we have by saying we're a kingdom of priests. I love that the new song then gets picked up and it gets expanded by a larger group of people. 10,000 times 10,000. Okay, that's like the biggest number you can come up with. That's kind of what it means. And they're singing and proclaiming the worthiness of the Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The Lamb is none other than God. And then I love how it expands that first we started with the elders and the, and the creatures singing. And then we've added all of heaven, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And then in the third time that we hear a song, what? We've included every living creature in heaven, on earth, in the sea, under the earth, everyone, everything that has breath praises the Lord. And it sings this song to praise the Father and the Son, the one on the throne and the Lamb. And we've been called up into that. Kenny, I want you to go ahead and bring your team up, and I want the prayer team to come up as well. I want to read you a quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, In worship, every sign of life and every impulse to holiness, every bit of beauty and every spark of vitality, Hebrew patriarchs, Christian apostles, wild animals, domesticated livestock, human beings, soaring birds, are arranged around this throne that pulses light, showing each at its best, picking up all the colors of the spectrum in order to show off the glories. 
You see, everything around the throne is rightly seen as it truly is. And this vision empowers faith because if it's true, what stops me from praising? If this is ultimate reality, that there is a word from God that could only be given to us by the Lamb, and the Lamb has conquered. If God's truth is opened, and if His praise in this moment, if it's deserving, if they're telling the truth of His worthiness, then what will stop me from giving my whole life to serving that king? Now, I, here's what I think you need to understand. John isn't saying, this is heaven later. John is saying, this is heaven now. That right now, and I know, I know you say, Adam, it doesn't look like heaven right here. You may not see it all the time, but you, you don't have to see the sun to know it's still shining. You, you may not be able to see what God is doing, but John is here to let us know what is really happening. And we've been invited to see what's really going on in the courts of God. And the question that he's asking is, are you paying attention? Will you give him your attention? Let us worship together the slaughtered lamb by whose sacrifice we have been given a victory, a salvation that is unbreakable, and a grace that is inexhaustible. Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him to him who sits on the throne. And unto the Lamb be praise and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Our hope is that it was a blessing to you. If you would like someone to study with or pray with, do not hesitate to reach out to us through our website, rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.